It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? There's Donald. Airing it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Maybe on the back of the cup. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, use the promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason, and I am joined for X and O Quick Hits by the man who is the host of our film show over on our YouTube channel, Turn On The Jets TV. That, of course, is Joe Blewett. Hey, Joe, I heard you had a bit of a Twitter meltdown. Yeah, um, Sunday, and it's funny, too, because usually my, my meltdowns come when I have some uh, some alcohol in my system, but I wasn't able to uh, have any alcohol in my system because I had to go to uh, to work after, so... That was the downside of Sunday because usually when I watch the Jets uh, play, you know, drinking, if you do drink, is usually a necessity, but uh, <laughs> no alcohol system. So it was kind of a rare uh, non-alcohol-induced uh, meltdown. But, yeah, I, I, I did have a little bit of a meltdown just with the amount of hot takes out there that are based uh, upon n- nothing that you see on film. It's, it's a lot of things you hear thrown out there like, oh, the Jets need to use more 12 and 13 personnel, and what, what are they doing? Uh, they need to help their quarterback out with more blockers, and then the Jets throw multiple 12, 13 personnel sets out there, even put Jonathan Harrison at fullback, but apparently they're not doing anything to change the game plan. That's typically, uh, you know, 10 and 11 personnel. So that, that wasn't a change, even though it was. There's a bunch of things out there. Uh, Quinn and Williams in, in his, you know, 50 or 40th and 50th snaps, uh, he's, he's not getting a bunch of sacks like Aaron Donald. Um, so he's terrible now. And I had a bit of a meltdown where I was saying Patrick Mahomes didn't have a touchdown last game. He's garbage. Aaron Donald only has one sack. He's garbage. Cut him. Uh, Jalen Rams, you trade him. He hasn't had this and that. So yeah, I, a little bit of a meltdown. Um, but it is what it is. This, this season is, is, is already tough. And then you have a bunch of just completely false opinions that you know are false. Um, not the sound, whatever, but when you watch the film, you, you can see these things. Even if you're just charted and you don't know what you're, what you're watching, um, you can see these things. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's been coming for a little bit while, a little while. Hopefully I don't have to have another meltdown on Sunday. So. Joe, this episode, I thought it would be fun if I throw out to you the observations that I had being there in person watching, and then we'll see how it matches up with what you saw on the film. So the first thing I want to throw out there is Luke Falk. Now, I've said before that I think that at some point Luke Falk might be able to develop into a solid backup in the NFL. That day is a long way away because this was one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever seen. From what I could tell, being there live and watching and getting more than just the TV camera view, he was holding the ball too long, he was indecisive, there were receivers open, he wasn't seeing them, the offensive line didn't help him out much, but he made them look way worse than they actually were. You tell me, am I off or am I pretty much on target here? Yeah, you're on target. Um... Being a back a good at backup NFL quarterback is definitely a long ways away from him. It's not just uh, you know there's guys like Teddy Bridgewater out there 
I don't know, Matt Castle when he was with the Patriots, even though a lot of that was due to Bill Belichick, et cetera. Um, he's a long way away from that. I think he's a long way away from being on an NFL roster. I, I think, you know, after what he's shown, he's, he's going to be lucky to even be on a, a practice squad, um, you know, roster next year, whether that be the Jets or, or somebody else, because he's just been absolutely terrible. Not seeing the field, panicking, uh, no pocket presence, no pocket movement. Where there's been a couple of times where, yeah, there's guys rushing off the edge, but all you do is step up a little bit in the pocket and you give yourself, you know, an extra second, second and a half, two seconds. Um, and he's just not able to do that. So, yeah, you know, allowing, you know, 10 sacks to a team that's gotten three or four over the first four weeks is, is terrible. And even if it wasn't 10 and it was, you know, five or six, um, that's still a bad performance for the Jets offensive line. But there's no doubt that, that Luke Falk definitely didn't help in that aspect and not getting the ball to, to open receivers, um, which didn't happen too, too often in this game um, because they only have such a short time to get open. Um, him not being able to hit those receivers when they were open really look, makes the offense look, you know, absolutely terrible. And that's why you get the things we talked about last week where people are saying, oh, well, you know, why even have a tight end in the game? You know, Ryan Griffin, he can't do anything when he's a, he's a tight end who's, he's not a, he's not, you know, Travis Kelsey or, you know, Kittle or anything like that, but he's a, he's a mediocre backup type tight end. And there's been times where you've seen, or I've seen him be open and Luke Falk just can't hit anybody. He can't make hot reads. He can't make uh, pre-snap reads. Uh, post snap reads, he panics. He he can't deliver the ball accurately. He doesn't lead guys. He he really is just absolutely terrible. And it's it, and that compiled on top of the fact that the offensive line is perform, performing you know terribly. That's why the situation looks so bad right now. See, the guy's indecisive, can't make quick reads, and people are saying, oh well, you know, you know, Sean McVay, he he hurries up the offense. Well, part of a hurry up offense is you need a quarterback who can read pre and post snaps. A lot of a lot of um, you know, that hurry up offense is being able to read the defense and getting a multitude of checks that the, that the, you know, the coordinator, offense coordinator, head coach gives you where, okay, you know, you might have three run plays, you might have three pass plays, you might have two runs, two pass, two runs, one pass, whatever it may be. But when you can't read a defense, you can't trust that quarterback to be in hurry up and be able to, to diagnose that defense and then make the proper checks. So that's kind of eliminated from your playbook. Okay. Play action, play action. Um, it's hard to do with an offensive line that can't block. Take deeper shots. How do you take deeper, deep, uh, deeper shots when the offensive line can't block? So how are you going to run the? And then it, it comes down to a lot of running the ball when they're stacking the box with eight, nine guys. You can't take deep shots. What what are what are the offensive coordinators? You know, whoever is calling the offense, which is Adam Gates, obviously. What is he supposed to do? I'm, and I'm like I said, I'm not completely wiping away some blame. There's been some things, you know, running too many, um, you know, screens at, at, at times and, and not advantageous positions. Um, you know, some of his roster management, some of his game time decisions have definitely been a problem. You know, like the, versus the Patriots, you're down 16 points. You have the ball um, on, was it, was it fourth and three from like your own 10 yard line, which yeah, it sucks to go for it there, but you still have a shot in that game. If you get the first down, you can make two drives. He punts the ball. And then after that, he's calling timeouts. Like there's things like that that are huge question marks. But in terms of the actual uh, play calling, people are calling it vanilla. I would like to see any coach with the Jets offensive line situation. Um, and, the, and their hand they're dealt with right now with their quarterback situation, um, be able to produce points. Now, could they have produced a little bit more and maybe gotten, you know, a field goal or a touchdown here and there more? Yes, but to act like this offense is absolutely dreadful because of, of Adam Gase, um, I think it's, it's foolish, to be completely honest. And then people are talking about, oh, the Buffalo game. One, the bu- Buffalo game, Sam Donald, Scott, if he, if he hits two of those shots to Robbie Anderson and they, and they both go for touchdowns, or even though if they go for 50 yards and one goes for a touchdown – and you're looking at Sam Darnold, what he had, like 180 yards. If he has 260 yards, two touchdowns, 
and the Jets win, you know, let's say, you know, those, those two deep shots lead to another 10 points because of one field goal and one would hit for a touchdown. They beat the Bills, you know, 27 to 16. And that's the most that anybody's put up on the Bills, you know, the entire season. Are we really talking how bad this offense is? You know, so you have to look at it like, like I said, process versus, versus results. You know, there's a bunch of different uh, talking points we can get into with that. But, uh, you know, they, they played so bad versus the Bills. Look at the Patriots last week, you know. It's, so it, it's kind of it is crazy. It's really, really overblown right now. And it's, it's been infuriating to see the hot takes that have been coming out. So, um, but I kind of went into many different directions right there. There's a lot of things on my mind. But, uh, yes, it's fair to say that Luke Falk is, is not a good backup quarterback and is a very long way away from being that right now. Thankfully, we don't have to watch Luke Falk again this Sunday. Instead, we get the return of Sam Darnold, which is going to make this game much more fun to watch. And it's going to make it much more fun to bet on. So if you're looking to bet on the Jets with the spread right now, eight points against the Dallas Cowboys at home with Darnold, they could be a frisky underdog. Go head over to mybookie.ag right now and sign up. You make your first deposit there and you'll get it doubled. That's right. You make your first deposit and they will match it right now when you sign up using the promo code OVERTIME. You can bet on the Jets and the Cowboys or any of the other games in the NFL. You can do prop bets too. There's a ton of them that you can do involving the Jets and the Cowboys game. You can do a prop bet on how many carries Le'Veon Bell's going to have. You can do a prop bet on how many touchdowns Sam Darnold's going to throw in his return. You can do a prop bet at how many times I'm going to scream out in anger at Tremaine Johnson during the game. Okay, you can't actually bet on that. But if you could, I would say bet the over no matter what the number is. So go ahead, sign up. MyBookie.ag, promo code OVERTIME. MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. Joe, as glad as Jets fans are to have Sam Darnold back, let's not kid ourselves. He's not a magic elixir. As you said, the problems didn't stop at Luke Falk. The offensive line, to me, was once again bad. Now, when I was there in person... You could see it pretty easily, but you know the deal, Joe. With offensive line, to really understand what was going on, you have to go back and watch the film. I did that, and thanks to Michael Nania, I paid close attention to Alex Lewis. He seemed like a legitimate improvement back there over what they've been getting from Coleccio Semele, but the other four guys seem to be just as bad as they've been the rest of the season. Is that more or less what you saw? Yeah, yeah. Alex Luke definitely looked good. He definitely impressed. That that is for sure. He could have done a few things better, but you're never gonna have a perfect game. Um, and the rest of the offensive line, you know, looked terrible. It, it, it's it's there's really nothing else we could say that you know other than that right now. Uh, Kelvin Beecham's completely lost right now. Uh, his technique, which used to be good, just looks awful. He looks like he's trying to overcompensate for the lack of athleticism slash strength that he that he doesn't have um, right now, and it's leading to even poor technique. So he's been getting beat. You know. All the time, and it's funny too. You watch him get beat. He's throwing his hands up and all pissed off. Like he's so mad that he got beat because he sucks. Um, so he's been bad. Uh, Khalil has steadily improved a little bit from absolute trash just to a little bit trash. Like he's been, he's been still been bad. Don't get me wrong. Um, but from week one to week two to week three to week five, it looks like he's steadily improving a little bit. Um, so that's a positive, even though he's been terrible. Um, Winters, there's definitely been more ups than downs. Uh, Playing next to a rookie in Chuma Odoga and a guy like Brandon Shell definitely hasn't helped him. There's been multiple times where, again, people who don't know what they're watching see him trying to pass off a stunt properly to the right tackle. The right tackle doesn't pick it up, and then it looks like you know uh, Winters got beat when really it was the the right tackle not knowing their assignment and not knowing how to how to play a stunt, how to take proper steps, whether it be 45 degree vertical foot fires rooting down. They don't know 
how to respond to certain defensive fronts or, or even to how to react to the defenders uh, post snaps. So um, he's been a little, he's been better than people think, but he's still been bad. You know, it, I'm not going to say any of these guys have been playing, playing, you know, good. Um, I think some of them are not, are bad, not terrible, but still that's, that's not very good, especially when, you know, coming into the year, we thought that adding a guy like Khalil, adding a guy like Clutch Yosemite, the, the offensive line would take a step in the right direction. It's taken a, a step in the, in the complete wrong direction. And it's another funny thing you hear where, you know, everything falls on the head coach where, you know, going into the off season and the training camp, you know, a lot of talk and I don't think it was uh, with bad intention or with, with bad kind of mindset. People are saying, okay, well, you know, Frank Pollock, he's been with the Bengals. They've had some bad players everywhere he goes. He's a, he's a really highly touted offensive line coach. And I was in the same boat. Is, is Adam Gase responsible for the offensive line and how they played? Yeah. Now for certain play calls, play action, sending extra guys in, which, like I said, people kind of have false narratives around too, uh, you know, as well. Um, is he responsible for coaching the offensive line? I don't know. You know, that's the offensive, that's the offensive line coach. If the offensive line is playing poorly just based on not knowing their assignments, their technique, et cetera, that's, that, that falls on Pollock. You know, if the defensive back co- uh, coach, you know, and Denard Wilson, he gets blamed for the defensive backs not playing well as long as the correct, as the, uh, the, the call is correct. So, um, Frank Pollock has really, been inimpressive because they have more talent than they do than they did last year. Clutchio Assembly healthy is better than Carpenter. Um, Khalil, from what I saw in tape in 2018, he's better with his technique than a guy um, in Jonathan Harrison and Wesley Johnson and Spencer Long that they had the, the last few years. And, and it, it looks just the, like they're completely out of sync, you know, a lot of times. So it's it's been, um, I think big part of the blame sort of falls on, you know, a guy in Frank Pollock. So it's been, uh, it's been really, really bad this year. And like I said, having a, a third string, fourth string practice squad potential, you know, um, not even on a roster type quarterback behind a really poor offensive line is really not helping the offensive production uh, when defense are just able to, to squat in zone coverage, play the run and, and dare the quarterback to, to beat them nickel and dime them. Cause it's, not, it's just not going to happen. Le'Veon Bell has been somebody that has had zero help so far because he's had yeah. a quarterback that hasn't been able to take any of the pressure off of him. They've been stuffing the box, as you noted. And on top of that, the offensive line just cannot block for him. He hasn't put up gaudy numbers, but from what I could tell watching the game in person, he was making more of the situation than almost any other running back possibly could have. There were plays where he actually turned them into a positive where it looked ridiculous, and it seemed like there was no way he was going to be able to do anything at all. And as far as effort, listen, people that question this guy, you can stop doing that now. In the third and fourth quarter of a game where they were getting blown out, it meant nothing. He was trying to hurdle three defenders to get a first down, and he was the lead blocker on the one touchdown that this team had. So you tell me, Joe, are my impressions backed up by the film? Is Le'Veon Bell doing just about everything he possibly can and getting no help? Yeah, he, he looks like the, the elite Le'Veon Bell that's at all pro, pro bowl level. He, you know, he won't get those... Uh to that all pro level this year because of, of what its stats look like. And like I said, you'll get those, uh, those, those quote, you know, stat humpers that I call them out there saying that he's bad. And you'll hear it on, you know, WFAN and ESPN and all these garbage podcasts and, you know, uh, podcasts are centered around the Jets saying, Oh, well, you know, look, Le'Veon Bell has washed 3.5 yards per carry this year, which I think will go up with Darnold coming back, but still it's going to be hard to recover from these last four games in terms of, you know, what you'd want to look at statistically from an all pro type guy. People say that he's been terrible, but um, 
he's been fantastic. Uh, when he gets any any semblance of a running lane, he, he takes it. He creates his own running lanes, like you said, hurdling guys. Um, even when you know typical running backs will, you know, when they're going to the sideline, you know, they'll they'll you know kind of concede the run right out of bounds. You'll see Le'Veon Bell plant his foot in the ground, stiff arm the crap out of a cornerback, linebacker, safety, just to get another half a yard. So he's fighting for literally every single inch um, that he's able to get. He's been absolutely fantastic with the press. Um, never saying the wrong thing. So Le'Veon Bell has been, you know, a, a plus addition for this team and what he's been producing, um, you know, on the field as a leader um, in the locker room, um, seemingly, you know, to the press. He's he's been he's been really great, and I'm really looking forward to to him playing with Sam Darnold coming back. I'm looking forward to him playing next year with an offensive line um, for these type of guys in the team. For guys like you know Le'Veon Bell, for guys like Jamal Adams, guys who try every single snap and and really put. Um, everything on the line for the team. These are guys I really want to have success because they don't deserve what's happening to them right now. And Le'Veon Bell coming here, think he can, thinking he'd be a part of a, you know, maybe not a Rams level, Chiefs level, Patriots level type offense, but maybe, you know, at least an average type unit in the NFL to, to, to see what's been happening to him where, you know, the Jets are, are blocking, you know, eight guys with seven or nine guys with seven and, and having Le'Veon Bell. Um, having to run through lanes that just aren't there and having to fight for, you know, just to get back to the line of scrimmage is really tough to see. But uh, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's been the best player on the Jets this, this season, um, you know, or at least one of them, him or Jamal Adams, at, you know, at this point right now. But uh, he's definitely been worth every every penny he's got. And one of the things that's concerning for me and one thing I want to see be done, and maybe not now because you're expecting the Jets to stand Donald coming back, even though everybody else is going to get injured because the Jets are – apparently built on an Indian burial ground right now. Um, one of the roster decisions, and like I said, there's been some – it's more of the roster decisions that Gates has made, not necessarily the play calling. Um, when you're down in these games 31 to, to 14 or, you know, 3 to 31, I don't remember the scores anymore, they're saying going every game. Why is Le'Veon Bell running in, in the fourth quarter? When, you, when you're going to concede the game and you're not trying to win the game late, um, which is another issue – why isn't Ty Montgomery getting more snaps? Why is Blau Tal not getting snaps? We don't need to run Le'Veon Bell, who, you know, after this year, I know there'd be a pretty big cap hit. I know he's here for at least two years, or, you know, if, if the Jets construct a roster well, he should be. He's been proving that he should be here anyway. Um, regardless, why are you running this guy into the ground? So I, I think guys like Montgomery and Powell should see more snaps because he's clearly shown he's effective, but let's not act like he doesn't have, you know, thousands of touches, you know, um, on his on his body, so I think that's one thing that the Jets should adjust doing, giving the uh, some snaps to other running backs. But uh, yeah, he's been he's been nothing short of fantastic right now. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about the defense, and I want to start with the cornerbacks. Tremaine Johnson. I'm just going to say that I've seen enough of him, and I don't want to watch him mm-hmm. anymore. I want him to sit on the bench until such time that the Jets feel that it is financially feasible to release him. This was one of the worst performances I've ever seen a cornerback have. Just getting beat all day, every day, penalties on top of it. I believe it was Manish who said that Tremaine Johnson likes to give a cushion. Well, if you're going to give a cushion, maybe don't get called for a bunch of penalties on top of it. Joe, when you watch the film, am I right? Was Tremaine Johnson about as bad as humanly possible? Yeah, and it's so sad, too, that you look at the Jets contract situation with him, and I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I know he's owed like somewhere in like $13, $14 million next year. And if they cut him, the Jets have $11, $12 million in dead cap, and then he, uh, and then they only create like $2 million of room. So are they going to even be able to release him for that $2 million? Is he even worth it? Is he worth $2 million right now as a backup? Um, it's, it's going to be a question that Joe Douglas has to answer, but it, getting him out of here might just be the best option because uh, he's looked terrible. And in the past, what's hurt him is it's been his it's been his athleticism, which he never really had great athleticism, but he always had good technique. Now this year, he just has that horrible, uh, horrible technique where you saw him, you know, uh, get one penalty with the you know legal contact downfield. We saw Nelson Aguilar. Who got who burned them deep, uh, and the Eagles to the challenge tag for pass interference, illegal contact downfield, whatever it was, um, and the refs didn't overturn it. Which, by the way, the pass interference rule has been absolutely terrible. The reviewing of it this year because you've seen some clear pass interference that's not called. So what's the point of the rule? It's been really, really bad slowing down the game. It's just, um, I think that's going to be a one and done type thing. But um, he got burned multiple times where guys were, you know, uh, you know Carson Wentz overthrew them or. You know, Aguilar wasn't able to track the ball down, whatever it may be, uh, when he's not getting burned deep, which, you know, with the Rams, he was always, he was always a guy who got, you know, he would let up nickel and dimes, you know, okay, five yards, six yards, seven yards, but would never get beat deep this year. He's getting nickel and dimes and getting beat deep. Um, and it's, like I said, it's not even just athleticism. His technique is just so awful. You see him get illegal contact downfield because his feet become inactive and his foot and his feet get frozen to the ground. And that's why he had to reach out. And you try to hit the guy so he didn't completely burn past him. You see, when he's playing off coverage, okay, if you're going to play off off coverage, what off the, the most beneficial thing of off coverage and the reason for it is you're able to take you know read steps. You you take two three short shuffles back. You read the quarterback's drop. Okay, if it's a, if it's a three step drop, then I'm going to you know attack upfield. Obviously, you want to you want to attack the near hip to protect against double moves. That's that's something you do what, what you want to do technically, which again he didn't do when he got beat deep. Um, but you want to take those read steps. He's, he's aligning so far inside. He's not even allowing himself to take read steps. So he's completely negating the, 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 the benefit of playing off coverage. So, 
Um, it's, it's that. It's opening up his hips too early, angling his hips off too early, playing too far inside, where even if he does make a good break from the ball, he's still two, three yards inside of same instead of being over top of the route where – um, you know, he would be able to break on the ball and potentially get a pass deflection. Like I said, he's so far inside. He's, he's not even put himself in proper position to be able to do so. So it's, it's athleticism. It's technique. Um, he's another one of those, those signings, unfortunately, um, that after the Jets signed him for a big contract, you know, last three and last couple of years that uh, he's been reminding me of is, you know, uh, one being Muhammad Wilkerson, who just didn't care at all, wasn't Trump the meetings. Uh, Darrell Rebus looked like he completely lost it. Uh, he always had good technique, and he looked bad, and now you have Tremaine Johnson. It's just a lot of these big contracts that the Jets have been signing the last couple of years have really not been working out, um, and it looks awful. But, yeah, Tremaine Johnson has been uh, – he's not even the number two. He's not even the number three right now. Right? He Honestly, at this point, you know, minus his name, if you just watch his play, he's not even rosterable. You know, maybe it's a five or six on a bad team, um, but he has been really, really poor at this point. It's a really big disappointment because of, you know, considering what he's, I don't know exactly what he is on the cap right now, maybe number two, number three, number four, highest on the roster, and he shouldn't even be on it right now based on his play. So it, it really has hurt the Jets. Let's talk defensive line. From what I gather, Quinn and Williams, despite not having 12 sacks, as you were joking before, seemed to have a pretty good game in his very first full game as a pro against one of the best offensive lines in football. He had four quarterback pressures, almost had that sack. He should have been able to take Wentz down, but still, the fact that he was that close is nice for his first game. I think that it's certainly something to build on. Leonard Williams continues to mail it in. This is the weirdest time ever for somebody to do that, too, because it's a contract year. When you watch the defensive line, is that what you saw? Did you see a pretty solid debut from Quinton Williams and another pretty subpar performance from Leonard Williams? Yeah, so for Leonard Williams, it's, it's kind of it's, – it is odd um, that he just looks absolutely terrible and he's just not getting to the, to the quarterback. Um, there have been a few times where they're definitely running away from him, but it's not an excuse for a guy who's making what eleven, twelve, thirteen million dollars. Um, you know, on that on that fifth year of his of his rookie contract being such a high first round draft pick, um, the excuses need to stop. You need you need to produce. Um, Leonard, uh, you know, coming under a guy like you know Greg Williams, and even I thought that okay, more penetration, more stunting that you know take advantage of Leonard Williams' athleticism, he'd get to the quarterback more. Um, but he's just not able to to do that right now. He just he's just not getting there. He's not producing. I really do not see him getting a second contract with the Jets unless you know he's going to give them a a contract around you know whatever it may be. You can you can argue that you know people are saying he's a bust and all this stuff. He's absolutely terrible. And I saw something, and this is partial the reason that I went on a complete Twitter meltdown was that oh well he's he's more of a bust than Darren Lee, and Darren Lee is better than him, which is just that that that's really that really is crazy. Um, and you asked the Le'Veon Bell question before, and there was a, actually a tweet I had where I said, uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell, you know, he's not that good. He, I haven't seen him break one tackle all year, and it has nothing to do with the offensive line. The offensive line is actually blocking well for him. And then people are like, oh, you're a clown. You have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, I don't know how you didn't sense the sarcasm there. But, yeah, it was part of – I lost definitely a couple of followers the other day, but I really I really couldn't care any less. But, uh, yeah, Leonard, Leonard Williams is – he's been terrible. Um even really, really disappointing for, for me. I really thought he would produce um, more this year under the Greg Williams uh, scheme. And then Quentin Williams, like, like you said, you know, he didn't have, you know, 13 sacks and uh, all, all this stuff. So he's a bust and they should probably trade him. And he's Leonard Williams 2.0 and people compare him you know, to Josh Allen and all these guys now where you look at, you know, the, the defensive line that Josh Allen is playing on right now, with, you know, Ngakwe and, Calais Campbell, who's getting three sacks. I think if Clinton Williams was playing on one of those teams, he'd probably get more production than he will this year because 
Uh, there's literally no attention where he's already drawing double teams um, so early into his career. And again, you're talking about, um, you know, him playing one of the best offensive lines in football. Is it, you know, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, wherever it is, it's definitely top 10. I would probably say it's top five. And uh, there was multiple examples of him pressuring Wentz. You saw the, the play where he obviously got ducked by Wentz, where, um, yeah, you'd like to see him finish that. But Carson Wentz is, you know, elite in terms of his pocket movement and then being able to escape the pocket and break tackles. That's what we've seen him do throughout his, you know, young career. But um, there's multiple plays where we saw, you know, Quinn Williams, whether it be zero tech, one tech, three tech, where he was, you know, creating some real movement against guys like Kelsey, who is considered one of the best centers in the NFL. And then uh, I believe it's Brandon Brooks is the right guard who's like 350 pounds. He's a massive dude, uh, considered a really, really good guard as well. Um, I know he's been producing very, very well for the Eagles this year. Um, there were some times where he was throwing him around a little bit, where, um, you know, penetrating, pushing the pocket, uh, and, and forcing Wentz to, to, to roll out or to move away. So for his first game minus, you know, stats, which I think he actually, like you said, Scott, I think in terms of statistics, you said, what, uh, one quarterback hit, four pressures, five tackles, whatever it was. He actually had a, a decent statistical game and he just didn't finish that sack where if he had that sack, he'd be like, Oh my God, you know, he actually played really well now. Look, five tackles, one sack. What a game. But because he didn't, wasn't able to finish one play, now he had a bad game. So it's, it's crazy. But um, I was definitely impressed with, with Quinn Williams for sure in his first uh, full game because, you know, the first game, I'm not sure exactly uh, when he got injured, um, but he did get injured in that first game. And, you know, coming back, it, it, it was impressive. And it was one of the, the bright spots, the lone bright spots of, of uh, you know, this last game. I thought the linebackers played solid. Neville Hewitt's been okay, and so is Blake Cashman. I'm not saying that these are guys that you necessarily want as your long-term starters, certainly not Neville Hewitt. But what did you think? Watching in Philly, it seemed like they held up their end of the bargain. Yeah, uh, Cashman, based on, and I think I said this last time I was on the uh, you know, on the show with you, that Cashman's been, been impressing me more just because of, you know, for him being a fifth-round draft pick. Um, and expecting him to, to come in and be a starter, um, wasn't necessarily something he, he thought, you know, most likely going into the season, or it wasn't something we were expecting from him because you had Avery Williamson and, you know, uh, Mosley, which, you know, we don't have them right now because of just this, this incredibly injured season. I actually, Scott, I asked this question on, on Twitter, Scott. Actually, you know, just to deflect it back to you, don't answer your question because, you know, I guess I'm allowed to steer this podcast in the way I want to as well. And if not, you have to kick me off. Um, this is probably the worst year with injuries that I could ever remember as a Jets fan. I know a lot of people are going to say 1999 because they had Super Bowl aspirations. Um, and then what Testa Verde went down so early. But in terms of, in terms of the um, amount of injuries, like, and then you look at Herndon. Okay. You know, we're all excited. Herndon's coming back, you know, four game suspension. They have a big piece of the offense, young tight end. Oh uh, yeah. Well, he, uh, he hurt his, his, his life or his hamstring running routes by himself before he's even able to practice. So just to, to bounce that back to you, and I'll answer the question, is this the worst season you've seen in terms of injuries? It's right up there. I would say 2005 might be worse because it meant the end of Wayne Corbett, it meant the end of Curtis Martin, and it also meant that Chad Pennington and Jay Fiedler, the two top quarterbacks on the roster that year, were both out, not just for a couple of games, but for the entire season at one point. Mm-hmm. And they ended up having Brooks Bollinger and Vinny Testaverde coming back off the couch. But being able to even credibly compare anything to 2005 means that it's a really bad injury year. Yeah, and it, it really does suck because, you know, Avery Williamson, the guy who 
um, was okay in coverage. He wasn't great, but he was, you know, near elite. Um, very, very, very good at, in the run game because of his aggressiveness, his strength, his, his ability uh, to blitz, to to really uh, just kind of toss aside offensive linemen. He goes out, you know, obviously second preseason game, and you see CJ Mosley in the first game, which I'll I'll say it to the day I die, um, or until I'm done podcasting or on Twitter or whatever, which may be sooner than I want it to be with how everything is going right now. Um, people said he couldn't cover, and then in, in games in this, um, you know, the first game against the Bills, he was making plenty of uh, plenty of plays in coverage. He was making plays in the run game, and we saw what you know having an inside linebacker as, as good as as C.J. Mosley um, can do for your defense. Where you know they obviously shut out the Bills as soon as he leaves, they score you know 16 points um, or 17 points right in a row. Um, so not having both of those guys has really hurt the Jets, and now you're you're forced with two backups. Um, to be on the you know the starting lineup and Cashman has been he's been solid he's definitely he has an issue in zone coverage zone coverage he doesn't make the cleanest reads he he does panic a little bit when people overcrowd um you know his zone and and his his discipline with passing off his his you know defend or uh, you know offensive players in his zone coverage definitely is something that he's going to need to develop in but I think in man coverage against running backs against tight ends when it's much less thinking and just do it. Um, he's been pretty pretty good. You see some of his athleticism, his sideline, his sideline speed. His you know his tackling needs work, but um, he still has made some nice tackles in the backfield. So he's definitely been a big plus, and it's something that I've, I said you know, uh, recently that I'm interested to see if the Jets continue to let him develop, start him, you know, alongside C.J. Mosley, see how he plays, and then maybe you take you know Avery Williamson seven eight million dollars, you cut him for that money, and then you dump that into more bigger or bigger positions of need in corner, outside linebacker offensive line, potentially even, you know, wide receiver, whatever it may be. So, um, but he's, he's been impressive. And Hewitt, I think Hewitt is, he's, I think he's always going to be a backup. I don't think he's ever really, you know, going to be a starter unless it's in a situation like the Jets have right now with injuries or just a really bad inside linebacker core. I think he's, I think he's okay um, in coverage. He definitely struggles um, in all aspects, whether it be, you know, passing off zones, man coverage. He's really not the fastest, most, most nimble guy. So he can't really keep, uh, keep up with any, you know, tight end who deserves to be starting. So that's a concern in the run game. He will make a flashy play or two, but then there's another play where people don't really notice it, where, you know, he'll get drawn into the line of scrimmage too early. Um, he won't stay patient over the top to, to, uh, afford himself the opportunity to, to defend against cutbacks where he kind of, he'll kind of just press the line of scrimmage too early, get into a block and, you know, decide left or right before really seeing the running back's reaction to him. So he's been, he's been okay, but. I think he's been a little bit overhyped, but I think Cashman has definitely been, you know, a, a plus. And I'm not saying, you know, Hewitt's been terrible. I just think he's been a little bit overhyped. But still, overall, I would definitely still give him, you know, a, a positive grade. Or both guys definitely a positive grade. Hey, guys. Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. We know the corners were pretty terrible, but what about the safeties? People have been saying that Jamal Adams isn't looking as sharp this year. I think he's been fine. He just hasn't been making as many flashy plays. Marcus May, you didn't hear much from him in this game. What did you think watching those two? Yeah, I think this is Jamal Adams' best game, um, personally personally watching him. 
Uh, and you see him bring that energy, and I don't necessarily love him. I know people are, you know, probably share this opinion with me, but, you know, when the Jets are down 20-something points and him celebrating, I don't love it, but I think that he's just so frustrated right now that anything good that he does, he's just really excited about it because there's been nothing exciting about this whole season. But you saw him make multiple plays in the run game, shooting gaps, um, recognizing alignments and, and how the running back's track is going, just shooting gaps. We saw him shoot a – it was an outside zone to the left that he shot from the opposite side. Um there was also a play over the middle. It was a short dump off to a um, to a check down, and then there's two guys wrapping up the the running back. I believe it's like Brian Poole and maybe Hewitt. And you still you see Jamal Adams sprint in and just jump on top of the pile to to bring the running back down harder and see him celebrating after. You see some hard hits out of bounds. Um, he made a few nice plays in, in coverage on tight ends where that was the biggest area of kind of uh, that needed growth in Jamal Adams' game was in coverage. And this year, I think he's been pretty good in coverage. You haven't really seen him beat at all which is a positive because he has been in coverage more this year than any other year throughout his career. You see him you know, taking proper angles to guys. We saw him get the pass deflection, I believe it was against uh, Ertz where he got that, where he got that pass deflection. Um, so Jamal Adams definitely played actually really, really well this game. Uh, Marcus May, I, I think he's okay. Um, I think he's another guy who, you know, by Jets fans, because they don't really watch other players. I think he's a little bit overhyped and they look at just the result and not the process where like I said, you know, week one, he gets that dropped interception and people say he jumped the route. And in reality, he was actually really late to respond to the route and got lucky that Josh Allen didn't see it or, or you know, otherwise he would have been um, beat for a touchdown. So I think he's been okay. I, I think at this point he's, he's replaceable. I think he could still grow. Obviously, this is only, you know, his second se- or his second season playing, you know, a, a good amount of snaps where his second, you know, his second year in the NFL, he got injured uh, for most of it. So um, he still has room to improve for sure. But, yeah, you know, I think he's a he's an average type player. While Jamal Adams is is still playing at an All Pro level, even though he might not be making as many splashy plays because he's not, you know, around the line of scrimmage as much or relying on him a little bit more in coverage than they typically have in the past or that Todd Bowles did in the past. Let's talk about the coaching now, Joe, just to wrap things up because you touched on this a little bit with Adam Gase. I want to hear what you thought about Greg Williams too. There are people that have been criticizing Gase heavily for his coaching. I tend to come down on the middle on this, but I also do agree with you that as far as Luke Falk and the offensive line go, it's about as untenable a situation as you're going to find yourself in. A lot of people have been comparing it to the other situations around the league where teams lost quarterbacks, but A, the offensive lines were nowhere as bad in those situations. B, they were playing easier competition. And C, in most cases, they were just better teams. Kyle Allen is the one that everybody throws in there, but I think the three caveats that I just gave really explain the difference there with Carolina. And as far as Jacksonville goes, I wish people would just throw that one out now because Gardner Minshew is actually good. So we can get rid of that weird narrative. But have you seen deficiencies in Gase as far as his play calls and some of the other things that he's been doing with the offense. And what do you think about what Greg Williams was doing in this game as well? I thought that he did a pretty solid job. As we talked about, there were missed opportunities for the Eagles, but a lot of that had to do with terrible cornerbacks, particularly Tremaine Johnson. I think overall, Greg Williams did a pretty solid job. And I'm not saying that Gase did a great job, but I also think that there wasn't a whole lot that he was going to be able to do given the situation. Yeah, look at Greg Williams first. Um, if you really look at the talent he's giving on defense, especially considering that the Jets are missing their entire, their entire starting linebacker core, um, and then you have a secondary where 
you don't have any true starters. Like on a really good defense, or even just a good defense, how many starters do the Jets have that would be on that defense? You know, Jamal Adams, Quinton Williams, Leonard Williams, and maybe, even though probably not at this point, you probably have two starters on a good defense who deserve to be starting. So we have an entire linebacker core that's, that's backups at this point. Um, you know, including, you know, you don't have Copeland, you don't have Jenkins, you don't have Mosley, you don't have Avery Williamson. And then the secondary is a secondary that before the season, we were talking about being one of the worst secondaries in terms of the corners um, in the NFL. Now, whether you want to argue the worst, the second worst, the third worst, the fourth worst, you know, that's, that's, that's on you. I, I would say they're definitely bottom five in their cornerback group. So you have a tire backup linebacking core, a cornerback group that is, that is bottom five easily. Um, and then a the defensive line is not creating any pressure right now. Henry Anderson's been a disappointment. He hasn't been getting pressure. You know, he's had some nice pass deflections and things like that, but he's also got, you know, no, no, uh, real hurries or sacks on the quarterback. He also has a couple of really stupid penalties this year as well. Leonard Williams hasn't been producing. Uh, Quinn Williams has been injured. So he's working with a really decimated and, you know, uh, lack of talented group at the top and in the middle and at the bottom. So, for what he's been doing, you know, and yeah, they probably should have given, given up at least another touchdown because Tremaine Johnson got beat, but you need to look at play call versus the, the talent that, and a lot of people like to go either, you know, 100%, okay, it's a lot of, you know, coaching is the most important thing. A lot of people are, okay, talent's the most impo- important thing, but I think it falls somewhere in the middle. Um, or if you call a really good game plan and the players can't execute, how much blame is that on the coach? You know, that Tremaine Johnson can't cover a guy one-on-one for more than two seconds how are you really supposed to negate that? It's really hard to, to be able to do that. Now, can you do that for a snap or two or three? Yeah, but throughout a whole game, um, you know, the Eagles will figure you out. So I think for what he's given, he's been coaching pretty well this year. Um, you know, versus the Browns, he had like one big play. The Patriots, they, they shut them down, um, you know, after the first couple of drives, which you can argue that, you know, yeah, the, the Patriots shut it down a little bit and were more conservative, which has been happening. But overall, Greg Williams has definitely been, um, pretty solid for this for the team. I think you know next year if he is here, which you, you don't, we don't really know, um, if you give him another starting corner or two, you give him an outside linebacker, which I think should be the bare minimum that they get at least another outside linebacker and then two starting corners. Um, the defense I think could be, um, you know, pretty a pretty solid group, and especially if you consider that the offense will be better and they're putting more advantageous positions instead of giving the ball to the to the opposing offense consistently like the forty yard line and only have to gain you know you know twenty thirty yards just to get a field goal. So. Um, he's definitely been, you know, positive at this point. And then Gase, like you said, there's been some, or like I said, there's been some questions about him. Uh, personnel, uh, there's been too few many screens to sides where it's not really the most advantageous position to throw a screen. But at the same time, you can't really run play action because, you know, you have to block for longer on a play action. It's a five to seven step drop, um, or at least block like it, where they, they're not able to even block for a three step drop. So how are you supposed to do that? You can't take deep shots because that's a long developing route. If they can't block for that, how are you supposed to do that? So a lot of teams are just, like I said, focusing on the box, focusing on the screen game, and it's really shut down his offense. And like you said, Scott, with the with you know the the offensive line, how it is, backup, uh, not even a backup quarterback. He's not Trevor Simeon. And Trevor Simeon didn't play good when he was versus the, with the uh, versus the Browns either. But you're talking about backups versus practice squad. There's there's a difference there where you know people are talking about oh well the Saints they have a backup quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is a starting quarterback in this league and. You know, it was a, it was a highly sought out, you know, uh, backup quarterback. That's why the Saints traded, what, a fourth or a fifth round pick for him, whatever it was, um, to the Jets when they had him. And if, if you're really comparing the Saints situation to the Jets, you're, <laughs> you are sadly mistaken. The Saints have a really good offensive line, a really good running game. They have guys like Michael Thomas out there. They have a really, really good defense as well. So, uh, to compare that situation to the Jets, it's foolish. And then another component of that is people are saying, 
oh well you know look at look at uh you know Kyle Allen versus whoever he's playing the the Buccaneers or you know whatever game is that people are pointing to you realistically you have to look at all the circumstances the offensive line the quarterback and the schedule the Jets are playing right now the, the schedule is not easy you're looking at the Buffalo Bills, who people say the Jets performed, performed so poorly that game, which on offense, they definitely were not, you know, they were definitely a disappointment. But people are going to bring it to the level of, like, they, they were absolutely abysmal when you look at the the uh, the Bills and the most points they love. This game was, like, 17, 16 points, whatever it was. They shut down the Patriots and, and uh, you know, uh, Tom Brady, you know, as well. So they're a really good defense. You played the Browns with a ton of talent and got consistent pressure, you know, on the quarterbacks, Miles Garrett, you know, just eight. Kelvin Beecham's lunch. You you play the Eagles, who have one of the most deep, deep defensive line groups in the NFL, and have have a ton of talent in that front seven, um, which they which obviously they couldn't block. So, and the Patriots obviously are the number one defense in the NFL. So they played like four really really talented defenses. So it's not like you're playing, you know, the Bengals. Now, if this was happening in the beginning of the year, where where Luke Falk couldn't throw for a touchdown or two, and then you know the Jets didn't put up fourteen to seventeen points, where they're they, they've they have more defense than special teams touchdowns than they do, than they do uh, offense to touchdowns right now. If they were doing that versus the Bengals versus the Dolphins, you know even versus you know the maybe the Jaguars coming up because the, maybe the defense put them in better positions, you know the Giants. Then yeah, I'll be even more pissed at Gates, or I'll be much more pissed at Gates. But when you're playing the Patriots and the Eagles and the Browns and the Bills, it's it's it's, de- it's definitely more. Um, it's harder on the coach. So there's been some question marks, but there's multiple times this game and multiple, multiple times in the Browns game, multiple times in the Patriots game where I showed that there's guys running open downfield and, uh, and, you know, Luke Falk just can't hit him, whether that be, you know, on a, on a 10 yard curl, a crossing route that could be thrown for five yards and turned into 10. Um, there's been times where, you know, a, a, a route will be open. And because he's so indecisive, he throws it late, and then it's not open. There was a time in uh, the, this last game, the two-point conversion, uh, where Ryan Griffin was actually open on the uh, whatever it was a short stick route, and he was open. And if Luke Falk, who was looking that way, decided to release the ball as Ryan Griffin was was breaking, it would have been a two-point conversion. It would have been good. He hesitates for for you know an extra second and a half second, and he throws the ball, and then the defender is able to collapse on that route. So. Um, he's really been given a, a really tough hand right now, Gase. And like I said, I can't wipe him of all blame, but to, to put it squarely on him where it's like, oh, fire Gase right now for what he's been doing on the field, I, th- I think it's uh, a, a really hard overreaction. Joe, as much as I love talking to you about film, I'm really looking forward to being able to talk to you about film when Sam Darnold's finally playing again. And hopefully the Jets are competitive because this has been some rough football the last couple of weeks. That said, it is very instructive to go back and watch that film because you will learn a lot. Hope you learned a lot on this show, but I think you'll learn even more if you watch the entirety of Joe's video breakdowns. You can see them on his Twitter. You can see them on YouTube. Joe, for those that haven't checked it out yet this week, what do they have in store for them above and beyond what we talked about today? Uh, a, a lot of honesty. You know, for, for a lot of people who are out there saying, you know, the Jets, you know, they, they don't adjust. Or Adam Gates has been doing absolutely nothing. If, if you're seeing in the first couple of weeks, I'm showing a lot of 10, 11 personnel. And then let, and then this week, I'm going to show you, look how many times they, they threw max protection, 12 personnel, 13 personnel in there. And people are like, why are people saying that? Like, it's interesting. Or, hey, you know, they don't flex Le'Veon Bell out in, into wide receiver routes or flex him out or flex him inward from right wide receiver to, you know, the backfield to show the, the young quarterback, the defense, able uh, and, sh- and be able to diagnose them or help him diagnose them or, 
why is it Tom Montgomery running routes? And, and the, all these things are, are not true on film, and you can see it for yourself. I'm not lying about it. I'm not just saying, oh, well, yeah, they're actually using Le'Veon Bell and flexing him out. You know, it's, not, it's not something I can lie about. I can't, I, I'm not that good of an editor. I'm, I'm going to show you that on film. I'm doing it multiple times. I'm like, oh, wow, so some people's storylines are, are definitely false. And there's a lot of really big overreactions right now because of how bad the Jets have been. But the film does not lie. So I think it, uh, it would definitely benefit some people to kind of I, – I think, honestly, watching the film and how bleak everything is right now, I think it actually helps you see you know, guys running open and things like that, which was going to help you kind of with your opinion of Adam Gates. I don't really think there's any help with the offensive line right now. So that's going to remain a concern, but uh, you should definitely check the show out. It's a TOJ space film, space room on iTunes, the YouTube, you said in turn on the Jets, uh, you'll find us there. And then uh, the Twitter's at JoeRB31. Um, going to be posting the, the film over the next you know day or two. I have a good, you know, 45, 46 plays that I'm going to be showing. And a lot of them um, are the offensive line. So uh, it definitely benefits people to check out the film. Go ahead and follow Joe on Twitter at JoeRB31. Go to our YouTube channel, turn on the Jets TV, and watch his full film breakdowns. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.